Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. The uh, big story today, at least out in Washington, is, of course, former President uh, President Trump inside the courtroom for his third arraignment. Four counts he's facing. Mike Leonard is a defense attorney in the federal courts. Mike is often with us on Let's Get Legal. He was on the Mincing Rascals, which published, uh, dropped yesterday. Mike, uh, as always, it's good to talk to you, my friend. Hey, John. Good to hear from me, buddy. Um, uh, and I just posted all your home address information on the web, so you don't have to worry about oh, good. anybody. It's already out there. Oh, okay. Well, very good. Yeah. And I realize there's a lot of information out there. Someone's like, yeah, you, all your information's online. I'm like, yes, but that's if you know my name and then want to search for me, as opposed to searching for a license plate and then being able to like reverse enger, engineer who that person is. Anyways, we don't want to get into that anymore. I want to talk about this, uh, what's happening. I imagine you've done a lot of arraignments over the years, Mike. Yeah, they're pretty perfunctory, meaning sort of just basic proceedings where they literally usually last a couple of minutes, um, particularly in a case like this. So the the federal defense attorney would simply say, you know, judge, we acknowledge receiving the indictment. We waive formal reading, meaning reading it out loud, and we enter a plea of not guilty to all counts. So it can be as quick as that. Uh, However, for the record, so to speak, the prosecutor is always required to do certain things. Uh, since they're not reading the allegations out loud, which you know, the defendant has a right if they want it, but of course no one does that. Um, they typically are just called upon by the judge to say for the record what the maximum possible penalties are hmm. in any case. And then pretty much the, guy, the judge receives their plea of not guilty and then sets some dates on the calendar for the attorneys, you know, dates that relate to discovery obligations of producing documents and the parties conferring and things like that. Typically, you would never set a trial date and an arraignment. And, you know, my understanding that is that the arrangement was going to be conducted by what's called a magistrate judge. Mm-hmm. And that's very typical in the federal system. Magistrate judges typically handle things like arraignments and then hearings with regard to whether someone gets bond. But in the Trump case, there'll be no issue. There'll be no hearing on bond. And there'll be no what's called preliminary hearing because it's an indictment, meaning the case has already been indicted by a grand jury. So you don't have the right to sort of contest the allegations and see if there's probable cause. That finding has already been made by a grand jury. Someone was asking why there isn't a hearing on bond. If it's a serious crime alleged, is it because of no prior you know, convictions? Is that like what goes into it? Why wouldn't there even be a discussion about it? Well, there's, there's always a discussion. But number one, the government will not be seeking detention. Oh, OK. Right. So they won't be. You know, the, the key the key question in most cases when you don't have a defendant like an ex-president is, number one, will the defendant be detained in federal court? So that's always the question. Um, and then the two factors that go into that is, are they a flight risk and are they a danger to the community? And then even if they're not going to be detained, sometimes there's conditions placed upon the defendant. But look, uh, as someone who has no criminal history, who's the former president of the country, is not going to be detained, and there's probably not going to be any conditions uh, assigned to him in terms of posting any money or property. And, uh, you know, they're, they're typically in the federal system, there's always someone from pretrial services assigned to each defendant, meaning kind of keeping an eye on them. Uh, that would be kind of funny 
to be that person in oh, this yeah. case. So uh, you, you mentioned it's pretty perfunctory, but obviously there's so many eyeballs on this one as there have been on the previous indictments. I mean, it's probably still, and you've had a lot of uh, defendants you've worked with, a pretty somber moment as for someone walking into that courtroom, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, no one no one likes to go into federal court as a defendant under any circumstances. And, you know, it's kind of scary to anybody, you know, walking into a large federal courtroom and having a judge sitting up there and facing the prospect of whatever the charges are against you and hearing someone say out loud what the maximum possible penalties are. So, yeah, no one wants to do that, and it creates a lot of anxiety, no matter who you are. And despite whatever bold face Trump puts on it, I'm sure that it's it's bothering him to a great degree as well. For sure. All right, Mike Leonard, I'm going to put you on hold. I want to ask you about the specific defenses we've heard come out through uh, President Trump's lawyer, and I, I just have some follow-up questions about that. We'll do that after we get a look at weather and traffic. Mayor, how are we doing out there? No All right, 318 on WGN. Uh, the judge is in the courtroom we're hearing out in Washington, D.C. I'm watching uh, News Nation with my right eye, and uh, this arraignment seems to be or about to be underway officially. Mike Leonard joins us now from Leonard Trial Lawyers, uh, federal defense attorney, also helps out whistleblower cases, too. Um, all right, Mike, I want to talk about the defenses that have been offered by President Trump's, former President Trump's lawyer, and some of the people that are defending President Trump. You ready to walk through a couple of these? Sure. All right, the first one that we heard percolating through that this is a uh, indictment against what should be protected speech, protected political speech. Your thoughts on that argument, that when Trump says it's a fake election or the election was stolen and it's wrong and we're just going through means and, and we're going to try and sue and we need to look into everything, that that is federally protected speech. Well, if that's what he was charged with, then, yeah, that would be a great defense. But he's not charged with that. And the prosecutor in this case did a pretty good job in the indictment of fronting that issue and putting a lot of detail in, like, hey, look, he can do this, he can do that, he can say this, he can pretty much say anything he wants uh, publicly in terms of public statements. But that's not the crime he's charged with. He's charged with conspiring with others, you know, to... Uh, interfere with a governmental function or a governmental proceeding. So making false public statements like, hey, I think I won or I won, that's quite different than engaging in a conspiracy and committing overt acts to violate a specific law, which is what he's charged with. So let's just kind of take an example. Um, he could say publicly, hey, this thing was stolen, I won, he lost, whatever he wants to, okay? But that's quite different than then behind the scenes, uh, talking to governmental officials, whether they be within the Justice Department or state officials from the various seven states that mentioned in the indictment, and making false statements to them and essentially urging or coercing them in an attempt to them violate the law themselves. So the, the best one that kind of stood out, I would say, is this sort this 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 conspiracy to get in these seven states group of essentially false electors, mm -hmm. right? So each state has a group of electors who are, you know, duly authorized to, you know, send the information in saying, hey, here's our election, here are the results, we're certifying that. And so instead of doing that, you know, the allegation is that they made false statements and engaged in a conspiracy with these folks 
to attempt to to attempt to coerce them to uh, submit false documents to the government and things of that nature. So what he's charged with and him making public statements are really uh, not the same thing. So I think that defense is I can say whatever I want is not really going to go anywhere because everyone agrees he can say whatever he wants, but he can't conspire with others to violate specific laws. Okay, so. The fake elector scheme, another argument that uh, I've been hearing from uh, folks supporting former President Trump is, okay, fine, yeah, we asked electors to do this, but this was the advice I was given through counsel, through John Eastman, through Rudy Giuliani. This was advice I got from my lawyers, and I followed through with that. Is that a potential strong defense? If a lawyer tells you that you can do something, can you do it? Well, it depends. So I'll give you a lawyeristic answer, a legalistic (laughs) answer. So... Uh, yeah, he can assert what's called an advice of counsel defense. That's a recognized defense. And if an attorney in good faith says, hey, look, you know, you can do this act, you can take this action because we've looked at the issue. And you're right, you know, it's it's something that you're able to do. It's lawful. You rely upon that. You rely upon that advice and you go forward. The, the difficulty is going to come in. Uh, because at least according to the allegations, remember the indictment's just a piece of paper at this stage. It's just uh, a litany of things that the government has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. But, but according to the allegations, you know, it's not that cut and dried. It's not like a bunch of lawyers who agreed with Trump and said, yeah, there, there's nothing wrong with this. It's illegal. Go ahead and do it. Uh, the allegations contend that it was quite to the contrary, meaning that lawyers and other officials from agencies were telling him, no, it's illegal. You can't do it. So the, the counter to the advice of counsel invocation by Trump will be that, no, he, he, the lawyers didn't tell him that it was legal. There's no documents that say it was legal from the lawyers. And he also had all these other people weighing in and saying, no, you can't do it. It's not legal. So that would be a fact question, though. But certainly it's a defense that he could assert in the case. Absolutely. I know that the standard of proof here is beyond reasonable doubt. So this is kind of a goofy question I'm about to ask, Mike. I hope you understand it. So when the 12 jurors hear this case, which, uh, you know, I don't know when they will or not, but they hear it, they go into the room to debate overall on these four counts. They take a look at each one individually. You must prove beyond a reasonable doubt. That makes total sense to me. But for these individual arguments that are made in court, does each one of those have to meet some certain burden in a juror's mind? Or is that up to the jurors to decide what reasonable doubt is when piecing together this story? For example... The idea of, oh, I was just following counsel. Do I, as a defense attorney, have to prove he, you have to meet the burden of beyond reasonable doubt for that specific argument? Okay, next one. You have to meet it beyond a reasonable doubt for that one. Okay, next one. Do you kind of guess, ask, get what I'm asking, Mike? I think so. So well, let's just talk about it broadly, and then we'll go into the defense of advice of counsel, okay? So broadly speaking, It'll have a lot of similarities with with every other trial in this country, meaning that, you know, the government will go first. They'll present, you know, dozens and dozens of witnesses who will provide testimony verbally, of course. And they'll introduce through these witnesses, you know, hundreds to dozens to thousands of exhibits, meaning documents. And by exhibit, I mean, exhibit one could be an email, exhibit two could be a memo, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Uh, And then all those witnesses, of course, are subject to cross-examination. And when the government's done, it's the defendant's turn. He can put on a defense. He can put on no defense at all because he has no burden of proof, right? And the defendant, Trump, can testify or not. He can call witnesses or not and introduce exhibits through those witnesses. 
So all the types of things you're talking about, all the different sort of angles and testimony and everything that comes out, then at the close of the trial, as you know, the attorneys will give closing arguments and try to marshal all those facts and all that evidence and make the best arguments as to why, for each count, the government has not met its burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And let's break that down for a second. So, for instance, count one, they would tell the jury in the instructions, for the government to prevail, to meet their burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt, here are the four elements they must prove. You know, one, number two, number three, mm-hmm. number four. Right. And then it's up to the jury to say, the jurors collectively in a room to say, okay, let's go through this. You know, um, count one, element one, you know, the prosecution argued they met their burden because of the testimony of these 14 people. You know, remember the closing argument they said that? And then you remember the defense lawyers were arguing, no, they failed to meet the burden on that element of count one because remember the testimony of these other people. So it's almost like a syllabus or a grid. You kind of then go through each of these points that the judge instructs you to go through and you almost have like a roadmap to kind of get to a decision as a jury. Yeah, exactly. Because if you didn't have jury instructions, you wouldn't really have any rules of the game in terms of how you decide the case. So the government in their closing arguments and then even in their opening argument It'll be very structured. Yeah. You know, when they're done uh, in closing arguments, they'll they'll be very structured. They'll say, "Hey, look, we had the burden of proof in this case. We embraced that. We've met it beyond a reasonable doubt." And then they'll go through in painstaking detail each count, each element, and for each account and each element, they'll go through and try to tie that element to particular testimony in the case, right? Or particular exhibits that were admitted, right? Yeah. And the hey, defense my- strategy is often quite different than that. You know, it's it's making sometimes more broader-based arguments or appeals to different types of things, you know, sort of equitable appeals and all that kind of stuff. But um, c- clearly the defense lawyers still have to make the very strong argument based upon the evidence that the government did meet their burden of proof. Right. And they need to give a lot of specificity to say why a particular element in a particular account was not proven beyond a reasonable doubt. So that's kind of a long-winded answer. Does that that's kind okay. of answer the question? It was a very yeah. long-winded question, <laughs> in all fairness. Yeah. No, yeah. you're answering a lot of great yeah. stuff. i got to let you go, Mike. I appreciate your expertise. Leonard Trial Lawyers, where you can find Mike. One last thing, yes or no, is there any chance this trial moves out of D.C.? Hmm, good question. I would say no. Okay. That was more complex than I thought it was going to be. I'll have to dive into with you that uh, perhaps uh, this Saturday, Mike. I, I'll probably be calling again. Uh, never giving you a time yeah, I off. Want, and... I don't want to give. I don't want to give anything away, and I want to be invited back. Yeah, so exactly. The, exactly. The one word answer. You'll be back, Mike Leonard, federal defense attorney. Appreciate your time, Mike, and your expertise. Thanks. Thanks, John. Yeah, take care. It's Mike Leonard. All right, let's take a break. Then the news on WGN. WGN.